Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to break from some of our normal Q&A and invite a friend into the PeaceWorks podcast. But before I introduce you to my friend, I want to remind you, I know, I know, every week I remind you, but some of you are still not part of PeaceWorks University. And you know, if you are benefiting from all the content that you're hearing here on the PeaceWorks podcast, then PeaceWorks University is your best next step. So if you'd like to learn more about PeaceWorks University, please head over to chrismoles.org. Uh, go into um, the, the the tab there about PeaceWorks University, and we'd be glad to have you as part of our membership. Uh, speaking of glad to have folks, how's that for a transition? We have today on the PeaceWorks podcast, one of my go-to counselors and great friends, Tabitha Westbrook is with us. Uh, Tabitha, thank you for being part of the PeaceWorks podcast. It's my great pleasure to be here. I'm very excited. Awesome. Well, for our folks who who may not know you, I know a lot of the folks in our membership community, certainly a lot of our friends in Equip uh, know who you are. Uh, would you please fill in our podcast audience a little bit about who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So my name is Tabitha Westbrook. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, a licensed clinical mental health counselor, a licensed professional counselor, and a certified clinical trauma professional, in addition to being an AAMFT approved supervisor, which means I can make sure other counselors do a good job with what they're doing. Um, I have a private practice in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and I have five clinicians that work for me. We have both clinicians and interns. We specialize in domestic abuse, coercive control. We partner with churches, and we also specialize in complex trauma. So literally, it is the worst thing that you can imagine. That is 100% what we specialize in all day, every day. We're all trained in EMDR and brain spotting. Um, some clinicians are trained in both, some in one or the other. We also use a lot of... Um, scripture, but not in like the take two verses and call me in the morning variety. We're very clinically sound <laughs> as well. And I also have a uh, faith-based skills class out there online at tabithawestbrook.com. So do a lot of set, fun stuff, do a lot of speaking and writing and have a great time with it. And I absolutely love serving, you know, our survivors. They're, they're my favorite. Fantastic. So I, I have worked with Tabitha over the years. And one thing I, I think we can add we were just talking about Easter before we went uh, live with the podcast. Tabitha also loves Jesus and is a big fan of the resurrection. <laughs> big fan. Very big. <laughs> so I, I know in, in our work, our work has crossed paths many times over the years. And one of the things I love about Tabitha is her willingness to uh, counsel with victims, with perpetrators, to shift hats, to, to advocate when needed, to ask difficult questions and I really am thrilled to have her on the podcast today to talk a little bit about an area where I'm exposed to, but I wouldn't say I have a great deal of expertise in, and that's the area of trauma. And and, and two things on that front before I toss it back to you. Um, if you've been in this work for a while, anybody who's listening, you know that you're going to come across um, traumatic or trauma-informed behavior, individuals who are really wrestling with some of the 
uh, aspects of being traumatized, not to mention all of the work that we do in domestic abuse. You yourself are going to experience secondary trauma. It's bound to happen, and you're going to need ways to process that. So we're really thrilled that Tabitha could come and talk to us a little bit about the impact or the effects of trauma. So what are the, some of the things that we need to know as helpers and even lay people about the impacts of trauma? I would say first for helpers in particular, I'll talk to them first. If you are not educated in trauma, you need to be. There's a lot of really good stuff out there. Um, there's a faith-based advocacy course in particular for domestic abuse and coercive control that um, called to peace and um, Deborah Wingfield, Dr. Deborah partner in. And I cannot recommend that highly enough. It really helps you understand the dynamics of abuse. And that's something you really need to know and the impacts on the victims. Um, and, and you can't say as a people helper, oh, but that's not really what I specialize in. The incidence rates are so high that whether you specialize in it or not, you're going to see it. So you better know what it is when you're looking at it. And you better know either who to refer to or how to help. So, you know, if it's not your jam and you can't sit in those deep waters, that's okay, but you need to know who can. And so that's just kind of my big first point for helpers. And then the understanding that trauma really affects every part. So it's not just your physical self or your emotional self or your spiritual self. It's all of yourself. And God created us as whole people, right? Like I can't just take my brain out and be like, well, I'm going to put my brain on the shelf today and just my spiritual and physical are going to walk around. First of all, that would not work, <laughs> right? Because our brain powers everything and we die. It'd be problematic. So, <laughs> you know, we, we have to really look at it as a whole self type of thing first. Yeah. So we can talk about all of the different areas that it affects and kind of take them one by one. If I you love that. Like. That'd be great. I, I love the reality that we are complex beings and we were created as such. And I think that's mm -hmm. one of the areas that I'm most excited to see evolve in a good way within the biblical counseling and uh, evangelical world is understanding mm -hmm. the effects of trauma like we're talking about today. So if you're wanting to learn more about that, be sure to check out uh, Tabitha's resources at her website called to peace, as she mentioned. And then I, I think uh, you're also familiar with the, uh, Oh, the Christian trauma healing network, which recently got started mm -hmm. with Eliza yep. and uh, Beth broom. And we certainly appreciate their work as well. So yeah, we'd love to hear more about some of the impacts of trauma that we're going to encounter maybe in the counseling room or in the pastor study or just in ministry in general. Absolutely. And I think this is also very critical for pastors to understand because I, I, I haven't been to seminary myself, but my understanding from my friends that have is that, that you don't really take a trauma course necessarily. You might get like one counseling class and it's sort of a take two verses and call me in the morning kind of vibe, um, which it can be really helpful, but maybe isn't helpful enough in the day that we live in, let's be honest. So if you're a pastor and you're listening to us, you know, take a few notes. And again, I love helping pastors. I'm a pastor's kid. I, I adore the church and I adore Jesus. So I am all about helping where I can help. So you can find me on the interwebbies and I will be glad to answer questions for you and partner with you. I do consulting with pastors as well. So like I I'm here for you for sure. Um, so some of the emotional and mental effects. So let's kind of maybe start there because I think these are the ones people are, generally the most familiar with in a lot of ways. Um, and these are this is, the list I'm about to give isn't exhaustive, right? There's a myriad of other ones. I'm just gonna kind of give you the high points. So panic attacks, anxiety, depression, substance use and substance abuse, 
Um, this one might surprise some people, sexual addiction and sexual compulsivity, um, PTSD and complex PTSD, hopelessness, suicidal ideation, which means thinking about or contemplating suicide, eating disorders, the constant feeling of fight, fight, freeze, or fawn, and we'll talk about what fawn is in a minute, um, dissociation and emotional suppression. So wondering if you even have any feels, um, mm -hmm. you know, kind of feeling flatlined. And those are just some of what people experience when they have been through traumatic experiences. So I, I really appreciate, I think for, for those of you who are biblical counselors and pastors that are listening in, some of the language, sometimes I know we'll, I don't know if cringe is the right word, but sometimes we'll be a little bit fearful or trepidatious about the language, suppression, dissociation, and then of course the trauma responses, adding the word fawn, which I'm really glad that you did. I know that's something that's somewhat come out of the DV and sexual assault world <clears throat> as well mm -hmm. over the years. But I, I would like to just maybe real briefly uh, just chat about how suppression and disassociation are actually pretty decent coping mechanisms when you really boil it down to what someone's experiencing. Can you unpack that just briefly so we have a little bit clearer understanding of those terms? Absolutely. So dissociation is defined as stepping outside of, right, or disconnecting from. And when we're in a massive traumatic situation, right, especially ongoing abuse, ongoing trauma of some sort, prisoners of war, things like that, our brain is going to, because God is so merciful, shut it down, right? Um, I actually spoke on this at the call to peace retreat this past weekend. And the way I refer to it is our brain yeets it. And yeet, for those of you who are not 30 or under, means to forcibly expel <laughs> the trauma <laughs> memories. So you end up with a bit of a memory hole and a check out, if you will. So there may be times that your whole brain shuts down, like for a lot of survivors who have had abuse, maybe even from childhood forward, what I hear is, it's like, there's nothing there. Like I can't remember anything before I was 12 or 16 or whole years of my life are missing from my brain. And I like might know stories because maybe somebody told me stories or there's a picture, but I don't have any recollection of being part of it. And that is as uncomfortable as it can be mercy mm -hmm. because whatever was happening was so bad. Your coping mechanisms were overwhelmed. And in God's infinite mercy, he gave us a shut off switch. And it shuts you down so that you're not, so you're able to still function. And in the most extreme cases of dissociation, you have, and I know this might be hard for some pastors because I know a lot of times it can be, it, it gets discussed a lot with demon possession, right. but there is an actual thing of, you know, dissociative identity disorder, which back in the day was multiple personality disorders. And what happens is our brain fractures and different aspects of us are created to handle the trauma. So you might have the abused little girl and then you have the tough girl who can handle life, right? It's just kind of a very simple metaphor analogy of it. And in those cases, the parts might talk to each other and they might not. And so that's something where I think on that extreme end, you know, people can be a little bit nervous or uncomfortable with, you know, especially church, you know, staff members, pastors, elders, things like that, because it's an unknown, right? right? When you don't know about something, you get really nervous about it. And we all dissociate. This is something I want to kind of just make note of, right? Like 
we all kind of check out. Have you ever been driving your car and you're like, I don't really even know how I got here. Right. <laughs> and it's not because you've had another personality take over your car necessarily. It's because you were lost in thought somewhere and your brain was moving and you just like deleted the scenes because you were on autopilot. Your muscle memory was getting you where you needed to go. That's good. I, I think that's a great reminder that maybe, maybe for us as pastors without, and I don't know why we'd want to delve into that world too deep. You know, maybe we do need to rely heavily on individuals who have experience, especially on the DID side, have good, healthy conversations. But understanding that trauma responses, including dissociation, are relatively normal and understandable. Mm-hmm. And I love for you, I love when you said it's a it's a mercy that that there's a mm-hmm. way in which God has designed our bodies. Not they weren't intended to have that type of rapacious, destructive. That wasn't what we were prepared and created for, but he's given through his mercy an opportunity to survive. And dissociation could yeah. be one of those tools. Absolutely. And truthfully, like so many of these things, even addictions can be a coping mechanism. Is it effective long-term? No, not at all. But if we see it for what it is, and so many survivors already vilify themselves they're like, I am terrible. I am a horrible human being. They believe so much of what their abusers say to them that they become their own abuser, even if they're out. And so these things become a coping mechanism. So I think it's helpful sometimes to see them more as the symptom. In some ways, they are a problem. Addictions are not ideal, but but also to see it as a symptom with grace and mercy and go, oh, that's that's really helpful to understand that, you know, they're trying to do the best they can to survive. And you know, this past weekend, having the privilege, and it's one of my favorite things to do, to sit with survivors and to be in a room with more than 300 of them, to see and hear the stories, to sit with these women. If you have never done that, I recommend it highly because it'll give you a whole new appreciation for the courage. I mean, some of these women coming to that conference were threatened. They were coerced. They were told whatever terrible thing their abuser told them for those who are not out. And they still showed up. That is incredible courage. I mean, these women are courageous. They are strong. Yeah, they're dealing with the mess. Not gonna lie. It's hard stuff. But, you know, when we can see it from the standpoint of their shoes, it's a lot different. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, we resonate with that greatly. And if you're a survivor listening to the podcast, know that, um, at least on our end, these two folks love you and admire you greatly, Mm -hmm. no matter what step of the journey and the process that you're in. So Tabitha, let's head back to our effects. What, what are some other things that maybe we should be aware of when it comes to folks who have experienced trauma? Well, it's really hard, again, just kind of sitting with the emotional and mental to make a cohesive story because of where trauma sits in the brain. So it kind this of sits is back so here helpful in the for pastors. So listen up. Yes. This is so helpful. <laughs> yeah. So it sits back in the amygdala and the amygdala doesn't have time. Our prefrontal cortex, that's the stuff up here that does our thinking. Um, that's where chronology lives. Trauma doesn't have chronology. So when a survivor is trying to tell you her story, it's going to be tough sometimes for it to be in order. 
sometimes when I have a client come in and they're a new client to me, I have a stack of post-it notes and we'll start writing out the trauma history, whatever they want to tell me. And again, I don't make them tell me their story till they're ready. Like that is their story. And I am not trying to re-traumatize somebody. Um, and so that's just another maybe hint for pastors, especially is let her tell you in the way that she tells you be really gentle because it's hard stuff. And even saying the words can re-traumatize people if we're not gentle. Um, so grace needs to rule in that space in every possible way. So I will have, I will write down on post-it notes things with approximate dates and we start lining them up on the wall. I recommend the super sticky post-it notes for this because they don't stick to paint very well. Otherwise pro tip there. <laughs> um, but we'll line them up and then they'll go, oh, wait, I think that actually happened before this and we'll move them because it's really hard for them to say it in the order it happened. So if you can sit with the fact that these things might not be in order or it might come out as sort of survivor spaghetti, right? Like where it's all kind of in the same bowl on top of itself, that's okay and normal, really normal. Um, and being able to help her feel at peace by saying, I get it, this is hard, you know, go at your own pace. This is normal. Mm -hmm. Survivors think that they are the only people who feel this way in the whole wide world sometimes until someone sits with them and goes, this is normal. Make your body and brain are reacting the way that our bodies and brains react when we've been traumatized. Mm -hmm. So, you know, giving her that space and grace is so essential. Wow. I love the survivor spaghetti, especially for those of us who may be lay people or, or, or folks within the church that are not from a trauma background, knowing that an abuser, an abusive individual, will have an incredibly cohesive, linear, well-articulated story mm -hmm. and be able to produce the quote-unquote evidence that they need, while survivors mm -hmm. who are experiencing trauma will be giving oftentimes information that's disjointed and don't always doesn't always make sense or may have elements of truth and elements of untruth that sometimes can offend us if we're only investigating yeah. rather than um, helping and caring. And I think that's where we come in and, and like you're saying, remind individuals, this is, this is normal. This is part of the process and lovingly and patiently reorganize the spaghetti. I, I love it. Yep. And, and I think, it, and I'm, this is, I'm going to give a quick trigger warning because we're talking about some specific and hard things. So if you are a survivor listening, you can step away right? Come back to it when you're ready. Take care of yourself. That's really important. Um, if you're feeling a little dysregulated right now, you can do some grounding, which just look around you, look at, for five things you can see, name the first one, take a deep breath, let it out, name the next one and keep going. So this podcast is being recorded. You can totally come back to it. So I just want to put that out there before I say this next thing, because it's a hard thing. If you have not watched the body camera footage with Brian Laundrie and Gabby Petito, I recommend it highly because you will see this play out. He is cohesive and charming, seems concerned. She seems a hot mess, blames herself for it, um, which is another hallmark often of abuse and seems like, you know, she's the perpetrator in that moment. Every bit of evidence we now have knows that we know that that's not true. Right. And that story had a tragic ending. So I think that's a really educational video for pastors maybe that haven't seen it um, to take a look at because it can really help you see it sort of play out and go, oh, if I didn't know what the outcome was of this story, I might believe that, you know, she was just suffering from anxiety or something. And she was because he was abusing her. 
Very good recommendation. Let's come back to um, our impacts. Might, what might be some other things that we need to be aware of as we're moving forward in this work? So let's dive into physical effects. So there can be things like chronic pain, heart disease, lung disease, ovarian cancer, physical injury, obviously, if they're being sexually or physically assaulted, um, chronic fatigue, menstrual issues, because women's bodies are very sensitive and that can really get affected. And a whole litany of things, fibromyalgia, autoimmune disorders. Um, if you haven't read Bessel van der Kolk's The Body Keeps the Score, it's a really good book to help you understand how trauma gets kind of written into our cells and can really affect things. Hair loss is another big thing. Um, there's all kinds of physical impacts. So, and that also can serve to help, you know, keep women oppressed, right? Because they're sick. They can't imagine leaving their abuser because they have lupus, you know, or something. And like, gosh, I need health insurance because if I don't have that, then how will I even survive when in reality, this is one of the analogies I use with a lot of my clients. It's like, I, I don't know if you guys remember like back a couple of years ago when the news came out about the toxic water in Flint, Michigan and how it was really harming people. That's what living in an abusive relationship is like constantly drinking toxic water. So I tell my survivors, you are swimming in Flint, Michigan water, mm -hmm. right? Like that's what you're doing and no shade to the town or city right. of Flint at all. It's just talking about that. Sorry, I just want to be clear, <laughs> um, but you're drinking in this toxicity and it's literally poisoning not only your mental health and physical health and spiritual health, but like your body is being horribly impacted by this and eating disorders have a hugely physical manifestation with them. Yeah. So that's an interesting piece. I have had a difficult time in, in some ways making that connection or helping people make the connection between physical, uh, medical, uh, issues and the experience of trauma, but it will manifest itself in a variety of ways. And it's almost as if, you know, no two cases are the same as individuals' mm -hmm. bodies are uniquely connected to their, their brain as well as their soul. But mm -hmm. it's interesting that you bring up mimicry or, um, diagnoses and mental health conditions too, because sometimes I've seen mm -hmm. victims who maybe the trauma has been left undealt with and they're being diagnosed with a variety of mental health conditions mm -hmm. that symptomologically are present, but are really rooted in the trauma. Uh, and I see, I think you mentioned eating disorders. Some of those um, eating disorders, cutting disorders in young people, obsessive mm -hmm. compulsive disorder, we've seen that through working in PeaceWorks. Not to downplay any of those diagnoses, but to say so much of what we've seen has been rooted in trauma. And we've missed yep. helping people with the trauma and have really, in many ways, kind of put band-aids on the symptomology. Absolutely. And and I think, you know, if you're a physician that happens to find this podcast, welcome. We love you. We're yeah. happy you're here. Also get educated in trauma mm -hmm. <laughs> because, it, you know, that it makes such a huge difference to understand that there, if we can help people resolve the trauma and heal the trauma, our bodies heal as well. Mm -hmm. I've had clients who we've worked through some serious trauma who literally had their high blood pressure come down to the point they didn't need medication. Mm -hmm. Right now, that's not going to happen for everybody. Right. We live in a sinful and broken world and it, like, honestly, junk happens, right? <laughs> like right. It, it's just a thing but it, we can make it better and not worse mm -hmm. by 
being able to heal that trauma. And by recognizing that some of these physical things are trauma related, if you think about anxiety, right? We think about it as a mental health issue, but what happens when you get anxious, your heart rate goes up, you breathe faster, your palms sweat, your muscles tighten, right? You might grind your teeth. All of those things I just mentioned are very physical. And if you do it long enough, <laughs> then your body's going to have an impact from it. There was a study called ACEs, the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. It's a 10-question thing. We give it to all of our clients. And one of the things that is the most interesting about that is any score above a zero is clinically significant. And you're at higher risk for all kinds of physical issues and mental health issues as well. Um, so that's just something to kind of understand. It doesn't take a ton to cause some issues. And if you've had trauma, maybe starting in childhood, maybe you were in an abusive family and then an abusive relationship, then you're, it's cumulative, right? So if we think of it, about it as a cup, we're filling that cup and filling that cup. And if we're not letting anything out, then it's just getting fuller and fuller and impacting us more and more. And that would be kind of the definition of complex trauma, CPTS, you know, CPTC, oh goodness, CPTS, you know, PTSD with the C in front of yes, it. Right. I'm having a hard time. I need more coffee. <laughs> See, <laughs> we, we all have our moments, right guys? So yes, complex <laughs> post-traumatic stress. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, that's how it happens, right? And when you're in an emotional stuffer, we kind of talked about that um, in the emotional mental health space. I think of this. So have you, ha, Chris, have you seen the 1984 version of Ghostbusters? Uh, of course. I don't count any other ones as real. Of okay, course. Good. Like I refuse to acknowledge any <laughs> other ones because they're not my favorite. But if you think about, and if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, I'm about to spoil it for you. Okay. Um, but where they're putting the ghosts in the containment unit and they're shoving it in and shoving it in and shoving it in. And the ghosts are just hanging out in there. Mm -hmm. And then the weasel from the city comes and he like pulls down that lever and shuts off the power grid. What happens? All of the ghosts explode and everybody gets slimed. And that is very much like what happens when you emotionally suppress. So it's going to hold for a while, but that containment unit's going to crack. It's either going to harm your body or it's going to harm other people around you or all of the above, but everybody gets slammed when it goes down. Wow. So we teach people how to learn how to feel if they've been suppressing, learn how to identify it, learn how to feel it, learn how to address it, you know, so they don't have to stay stuck. Um, but we don't want you to contain it. We don't, we don't want you to shove it in. And another thing that I'll say for our pastor friends is there's no such thing as an overreaction. Mm. Sometimes our reactions, you know, we need to learn something a little bit different and be a little more effective. But if you had, could hear some of these stories, does it make sense to you why people might have some big emotions, right? And why the presentation might be big when they finally tell somebody they've been holding it in their containment unit for so long. And they're finally coming to you and saying, Hey, I need help. Something's wrong, you know, and it's going to be a little messy and we have to be okay with a little messy. Well, well said. Just uh, a couple quick things as we were heading up on our time. Can you talk to us just a second? Are there spiritual components that we should be aware of and spiritual effects to trauma? Absolutely. So first and foremost is a distortion of scripture. Um, there is, I heard this a long time ago from somebody, um, a, uh, 
it's from Psalm 119, but it's a distorted version of it. So uh, yes, I know the real scripture. No, I'm not about to say it. Um, but you know, your word have I hid in my heart that I might use it against you. Yeah. <laughs> right. And that is what a lot of abusers do yeah. to survivors. They misapply scripture all the time. Um, I, that is one of the biggest things that we do is help our survivors untwist that. There's some really good books out there on untwisting scripture by Rebecca Davis. Um, if you haven't looked at those, I encourage them but also a fear of Christians in the church. Sometimes survivors have tried to talk to a pastor, elder, or other church staff member, and they got told horrible things like, well, I mean, maybe you just need to have more sex. Like I am certain sex is not the cause of domestic abuse, right? Like lack thereof. And and it doesn't, yeah, does not solve it, you know, and no men do not need sex every 72 hours or they will die. Like, you know, but so many women are told that and it oppresses them and it even oppresses men. Like I've worked with um, men who are sexually compulsive and they tell me that puts so much pressure on me. I don't even like it. And these are not like abusive men. They're just men who are caught in a rough cycle, usually because of trauma in their own lives, honestly. Um, Fear of the Bible. When scripture has been distorted, God's word becomes really scary. And I, Joy Forrest talks about this in such beautiful ways in her book about find the scriptures that don't trigger you to read, right? Um, And I read something this morning that, you know, the message, because it's written as a paraphrase, um, no, we're not going to do massive biblical exegesis on the message. I know that that's a controversial topic, but look, do you want your survivor in the word of God or not people like let's be practical. And so maybe the message can feel a little bit better because it's more paraphrasing, more story. And by the way, Eugene Peterson is a pretty decent scholar, Mm -hmm. FYI, um, distrust of God. This is one that I held a beautiful sister this past weekend as she sobbed and said, I struggle to trust God. I want to, I know I should, I also don't like people shutting on themselves. That is not helpful, by the way. Um, But I held her and was like, sweet girl, you came to the retreat. Like, you know, like you trusted him enough to get here. Like, dude, start small. We're good. You know, but like understanding that these women may think God allowed this to happen to me. And my abuser gets all of the props and everybody believes him. And where is God? I've been crying out. Where's my savior? Like, man, get into that valley with them. You know, Jesus doesn't say, I get good luck walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Like he walks it with us and he's there with us. Um, And then feeling totally abandoned by their community. Healing happens in community, which is why the church is such a vital place. If we do this well as the body of Christ, we will bring healing. And not only that, but you have this beautiful opportunity. And Chris, I know that you, y'all need to talk to Chris if you haven't talked to Chris about this, but maybe calling perpetrators to repentance and accountability could be amazing, right? Like what if we got in on the ground floor when we see this out the gate in every church was like, oh no, no, we are going to handle this well. We're going to protect victims. We're going to hold perpetrators accountable. Perpetrators are not going to find happiness in the church. And if they are not brothers, then turn them over to Satan and let God deal with them because that maybe that will bring them to repentance. Like boundaries can encourage repentance, boys and girls. Like it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, then maybe we get a second Corinthians where Paul's like, hey, let him back in. Like he's legit repentance, you know, like that'd be amazing. And know what repentance looks like. This is not hoop jumping, box checking, behavior-based mess. This is heart stuff. 
And it better be a long time before you're like, yeah, we're going to let you back in. Boys and girls, three months ain't going to do it. Just know it takes a long time. So pardon me. That is my sassy soapbox. Oh you're <laughs> preaching to the choir here. Feel, I know I am. Chris, Chris knows I wear the sassy pants sometimes. <laughs> And we appreciate, we appreciate the sassy pants. It is welcome, not only in the PeaceWorks podcast, but uh, needed in the church. Uh, one, one last um, thing I'd love to touch on. Traditionally, when we talk about trauma responses, and we briefly touched on it earlier, we talk about the classic uh, flight or fight. In recent years, mm-hmm. we've identified as, as a culture and as people, the freeze mechanism in response. And then you mentioned a fourth that we have been using mm-hmm. in the domestic violence world for, for quite some time, which is uh, another F, uh, the, the alliteration never, never ends, uh, is never fawning. Ends. So can you talk us a little bit more about the yeah. trauma responses of, of fight, flight, freeze, and then why would we use this term fawn? Sure. So imagine a bear has walked in to talk with us. Now, Bears are great when they're in the woods doing their own thing. I don't think I'd want one in the room with me. I'd be a little nervous. So fear, which was given to us by God. And this is one other really quick point. I'm sorry, Chris. I got so many points. Um, But emotions were given to us by God. God himself actually felt emotion, right? Including anger, which by the way, there's a whole verse that says be angry and do not sin. So Christians are allowed to be angry. Just going to throw that out there. Um, (laughs) Sorry, another sassy moment. Um, But fear is a healthy emotion. It is a, what is going on here? What do I need to be aware of? Is my life in danger? And so if a bear shows up in here, I'm going to feel fear. My body, because of God's infinite mercy and beauty and how we're created, is going to react to it. So either I'm going to punch the bear in the face, that's fight. I'm going to play dead, that's freeze. Or I'm going to run away, right? So fight, flight, freeze. And flight is the runaway piece. The fourth one, fawn, is I'm, and this is a beautiful illustration from a, ther- from a therapist I know, so I can't take credit, but I love it, um, is cooking the bear a steak to try to keep the bear happy and from eating me. So I am going to sacrifice something to keep the bear from eating me. And so that's what we do with our abusers. We're like, let me make it better for you. How can I make you happy so that you don't eat me, right? Because they are the proverbial bear in there. And so that's what fawning is fawning all over someone, not little Bambi, cute little deer, right? Which some people think of when they think of fawn depends on where you live in the country and whether you hunt, but fawning is like that, you know, Oh, let me help you. Let me be so gracious and kind and all of that stuff to keep you from harming me. And it's very subconscious at times. We don't realize that we're doing it until we've done it or until someone tells us what we're doing it. And then we're like, Oh, that's what that is. Such a needed work in the church gang, such a deep and broad topic, so much to learn. And I know we've just uh, seen the tip of the iceberg, just a drop in the bucket, but we want to thank everyone out there who is involved in the work. And we specifically want to thank Tabitha Westbrook for being with us today. Uh, Tabby, can you let the folks know anything you've got coming up that they might benefit from over at your website or in your ministry. Yeah. So some of the te- the, cl- the skills that I teach are 
in a brand new class that just dropped this past week. It is all online, do at your own pace. So if you want to do it from the beach with some Wi-Fi, like yes and amen, I'm all for it. If you want to do it at 3 a.m. because your anxiety woke you up and you think the skills will help, also yes and amen. Um, but if you go to tabithawestbrook.com, you can learn about it. It is four classes or you can buy the bundle, but it's Mindful Connection, which is being present in this present moment, really helps you corral your thoughts. Um, it is stress and crisis management, which is what to do when it all hits the fan. Emotional fine tuning, which is how to identify and deal with your feels and also change your feels when you need to. And then relationships, which is how to find and maintain healthy relationships and to get rid of ones that are not healthy, how to end relationships. This is the entirety of what I call taking every thought captive because I heard a bajillion sermons on how to take, on taking every thought captive. And the question was always how? like practical tools, boys and girls. It's all tied to scripture. We talk about God. We tie everything to scripture. There's beautiful mindful connection with scripture attached to it. Like it's a lot of fun. Um, and so you can find me at tabithawestbrook.com. And also you can find my practice at thejourneyandtheprocess.com. Awesome. Thank you again for joining us. And thank you everybody for listening in to the PeaceWorks podcast. We value you. We love you. And we so appreciate uh, your partnership in this work. Until next time, God bless.